1: I've considered myself to be saved. I thought I was walking with Jesus, but I have to admit, I've never entered the narrow, the narrow gate. I have always added Jesus to an already wonderful life. I have not turned over the control of my life to Jesus Christ. He is not the owner of my life. Now, this is a person who's been a Christian all their lives. This is not uncommon. This person is describing a condition that will take them to hell. Hell is going to be full of people called Christians because they never gave up the control of their life to Jesus Christ, and they were never willing to bear the burden of what the gospel would bring into their lives, what the cross of Jesus would bring into their lives. Let's go directly now to Pilgrim's Progress. And again, I'm reading it by permission. This is copyrighted material. I'm reading it by permission of uh, Crossway Publishing. C.J. Levick is the editor, and if you want a copy of the book, it's it's, as far as I'm concerned, the finest editing I've ever found on Pilgrim's Progress. Let's begin on page 62. The background is that Christian has left behind his experience at the cross, and he's continuing up that narrow, straight way. And remember, the way he's been instructed, he can always tell the right way from the wrong way because the right way will always be the straight way. The wrong way will be the crooked way. So Christian has just dealt with three men who are in chains, who are in bondage because of their unwillingness to deal with their sin. And so now as he is making his way up the straight and narrow path toward the celestial city, he saw two men come tumbling over the wall on the left side onto the path. They immediately came toward Christian. The name of the one was Formalist. The name of the other was Hypocrisy you realize formalist is the person who is interested in simply going through the rituals. He enjoys the rituals of church. He enjoys the, the music. He enjoys the fellowship. But he is not really a follower of Jesus Christ. And then you have hypocrisy. This is the person who says, I'm saved. But in fact, they continue to walk in sin. Soon they were walking with Christian on the path. Christian immediately began to engage them in conversation. Christian asked, Gentlemen, where did you come from and and where are you going? Formality and hypocrisy replied, We were born in the land of vain glory and are going to Mount Zion, where we expect we will be received with praise and honor. Oh, can you hear it right now? The city of (laughs) vainglory. What an appropriate name. And it's also noteworthy to, to see that these men do not have a burden of sin on their back. Neither are they dressed in the clothes of the king. They're dressed in their own clothing. He says to them, Why didn't you enter by the gate that stands at the beginning of the way? Don't you know that it is written that he who does not come in by the door but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber? Now, just very quickly, you find that Jesus said this in the book of John. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. And then in verse 7 he says, this is John, the 10th chapter, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full." Now, just a side note, if I may. When you're walking in known sinful rebellion against God, is that life to the full? I don't think so. Life to the full, and let me just summarize it very quickly for you. Life to the full means that my past sins have been forgiven and my present sins, the bondage has been broken and I walk now with no willful rebellion against God. I walk in no willful rebellion against God. You can tell if you have been born again by a very simple test. The born-again have the strength to say no to sin. A person who has not been born again will be swept away time after time by their sin. They will be repenting over and over and over for the same sin because they have no power to resist. Now, to be perfectly Frank about this issue. There are two reasons why a person has no power to resist sin. One, they have not been born again. That is the most common reason. They came into the straight way, they came into the church by a way other than through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the gate. They came in as these men did from vainglory. And they're there for the benefits, they're there for the eternal life, they're there to go to the celestial city, but they have never been crucified. They have never given up control of their life to Jesus Christ. They are unwilling to wait on the Lord. Now there is another reason why you may have no power in your life to resist sin, And that is because you have willfully sinned against God. You have done so time after time. And according to the scriptures, you have rebuilt what was once destroyed. As you rebuild in your life the bondages of sin, you will no longer have the power to resist. And you will be swept away to destruction unless, You repent truly and return to your first love and allow the blood of Jesus to break the bondage of sin. Let's be very, very clear. One dear brother said to me last night, I have been white-knuckling my sin. You cannot white-knuckle your sin. Do you understand what I mean? neither can you excuse your sin. I hear many people say to me, Pastor, I'm human. This is just who I am. I can't help myself. I'm a sinner. Wrong. You're a person who has not been born again if you take that position. When you're born again, you become a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. You perhaps have never been told this. You remember Pastor Jim Kerwin, who was here with me. I was pressing him after the broadcast on what exactly happened when he became a Christian. He said to me, I went to a meeting at a Lutheran youth center, and I was simply given the four steps to enter into Jesus Christ. And he said, when I heard this, my heart said, of course I want this, please. And they prayed together a sinner's prayer, and he said everything in his life totally changed. He had no desire for sin. He had no desire for wickedness. He was a changed man. He said at the same time, another person went through the same process, and he noted from week to week after that that there was no change in this person's life. So why would it take in one man's life and not in another, with both of them considering themselves to be born again both of themselves considering that they are saved. But in truth, only one man was saved. The other man was still lost, but he was claiming that he was saved because he continued to walk without power. He continued to walk in his old ways. Nothing changed. Well, what makes the difference is what goes on in a man's heart. It is the submission of my life to Jesus Christ that allows the Holy Spirit to come in by the blood of Jesus and break the bondages. Now, Pastor Jim's experience is quite unusual. Most people require a fair amount of time to deal with the log of sin that they have in their lives. Pastor Jim was already living a righteous life before God. He was raised in a family that was righteous. And so it was natural for him. He wasn't out committing fornication. He wasn't using drugs. He wasn't doing some of the things that open the doors of our soul to immense darkness. Do you understand what I'm saying? God has no grandchildren. You don't ride in on somebody's coattail. Each man is going to stand before the judgment bar of God, and you will be responsible for how you have lived your life. And if you have believed the lie that the blood of Jesus covers you and your sins, and you can continue to walk in that sin, you have taken the modern church's Kool-Aid, and it will take you to hell. You're going to have to get serious about your sin, and you're going to have to give up the control of your life to Jesus Christ if you expect to walk into the celestial city. But now Bunyan gives us more. Formalist and hypocrisy answered that to go to the gate in order to enter into the way was considered by them and all their countrymen to be too inconvenient and roundabout, especially since they could shorten the journey by simply climbing over the wall as they had done. But won't this be considered as trespassing? Christian asked. Don't you think that the Lord of the city for which we are bound must count it a violation of his revealed will? Formalist and hypocrisy told Christian not to worry about it since it had been the custom of their land for more than a thousand years. But, asked Christian, will your custom stand up in a court of law? They replied, This custom of entering the way by taking a shortcut has been going on as a long-standing practice for more than a thousand years and would be ruled as a legal practice by any impartial judge. And besides, they added, as long as we get into the way, what does it matter how we got in? If we are in, we are in. You came into the way through the narrow gate. We came tumbling over the wall, and since we are both in, who is to say that your chosen path is better than ours? Christian told them, I walk by the rule of my master. You walk by the rude workings of your own notions. You are condemned as thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore, I doubt you will be found as true men at the end of the journey. You came in by yourselves without his direction, and you will go out by yourselves without his mercy. To this they had little to say except to tell Christian to mind his own business. Then I saw that formalist and hypocrisy went along with Christians saying only that as as far as the laws and ordinances were concerned, they would obey them as consciously as Christian. They added that they saw no difference between themselves and Christian except for the coat he wore, which they speculated was given to Christian to hide his shame and nakedness. Do you notice These two men who came in over the wall have no shame or nakedness. There's no conscious awareness in their hearts of their desperate condition before God. This scares me. I'll tell you why it scares me. I fear that many of you listening to this broadcast have no concept of the danger you are in. You sin willfully against God, but you quickly and glibly say God is good. God is merciful. God is kind. I can't lose my salvation. Charles Stanley tells me I can't lose my salvation. Well, for a thousand years this theology has been taught. Does that make it right? Now tell me, please, be honest with me. Do you really believe that you can take your sin and walk into heaven with that? Take just a moment. When you're sitting down watching television, transition, taking the television and what you're watching, and move it into a heavenly dwelling. Do you think the angels of God will sit down and enjoy that with you? Tell me, when you're out clubbing, could you just suddenly take that whole club and transplant it into the heavenly realm? Do you think the angels would join you in the activity that's going on, the conversation that's going on in that club? Let me ask you, do you believe when you're sitting in some churches where the man on stage dressed in his sequin suit is dancing and and singing wild, wild music, ungodly music, rap, or some other kind, hip-hop, do you honestly believe that you could transplant that church right into the heavenly realms and that the angels would crowd in to sit beside you and enjoy what you're listening to and what you're watching? Do you really believe that? I don't think you believe that. I've been praying that God would convict your hearts. Now, some of you are walking clean before God. You're walking with integrity before him, And your only desire is Jesus. Your heart is lifted up in praise and worship to him. And to you, precious ones, I say thank you. I'm with you on this holiness path. I'm with you on this narrow road. And we will soon reach Mount Zion. The journey will not be long. I'm looking forward to talking with many of you once we get there. I'm not going to be turned aside. I'm not going to be delayed. I'm not going to be threatened. No matter what I have to face, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, I'm all in for Jesus. And I'm going through. And I want to take as many of you with me as I possibly can So I'm not coming to insult any of you. I'm not coming to make trouble with you. I'm not coming to create a disturbance with you. But I am coming to say, would you join me on that narrow path? Would you come in through the gate? Would you be crucified with Christ? Would you repent of your sin? And would you join me and walk clean before God? I can't tell you how wonderful it is to wake up in the morning and the first moving impulse of my soul as I awaken is a song of praise to Jesus Christ. Or I can't tell you the joy of finally getting into bed, stretching out, and having the last thought of my heart be a song of praise and worship to Jesus with a clean and clear conscience, with nothing between my heart and Jesus' heart, washed and made clean by the blood, disciplined by the Spirit. Oh, are things difficult for me right now? Yes, it's been a very difficult week for me. Emotionally, it's been very difficult. Things have happened. The past has come back. You know what? Those difficulties do not change my course. They do not alter my steps. I am simply climbing up the hill of difficulty, and I'm going to go through. I pray you have that same heart today. They added that they saw no difference between themselves and Christian except for the coat he wore which they speculated was given to Christian to hide his shame and nakedness. Christian responded, You will not be saved by keeping laws and ordinances. You cannot be saved because you did not come in by the door. As for the coat that is on my back, it was given to me by the Lord, the Lord of the palace where I am going, and is, as you say, a cover for my nakedness. I take it as a token of his kindness to me, for I had nothing but rags before. Besides, I take some comfort in the fact that when I come to the gate of the city, the gate of the palace, the Lord of that place will surely recognize me since it is his coat on my back, a coat that he gave me the day he stripped me of my rags. Now, let me stop again. This is a real physical coat that he's speaking about. All of his rags were stripped away, and he put on an actual coat, a real coat that keeps him warm. The righteousness that we are given by Jesus Christ is real righteousness. It is real innocence. It's not a make-believe like the king who had no clothes. This is real righteousness. This is righteousness that makes a difference in the way I treat other people. It makes a difference in what I do with my money and my time. It makes a difference in what I watch and what I eat. It makes a difference in every aspect of my life. This is real righteousness that has been given. That's why the word righteousness. Justify, in the Old English, meant to make righteous. So let's go on. This is page 65. I also have a mark on my forehead which perhaps you've not noticed. One of my Lord's most intimate associates placed it on my forehead the day that my burden fell off my shoulders This is the seal of the Holy Spirit. This is the first seal spoken of in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Also, I've been given a scroll to read as a comfort to me as I make my journey. I was also told to return it at the celestial gate as an assurance that I will be welcomed into the celestial city. And this scroll that he's speaking about is the inner assurance of the Holy Spirit that he is washed clean before God. It is also the precious promises of Scripture, and God is a God who is faithful. I spoke with a woman last night who said to me, I have lost my assurance. I'm dry inside she has lost her scroll. It no longer comforts her heart. So I began to question why she had lost this precious scroll and discovered that she has not been spending time reading the scriptures. She's not been spending time praying. She's been acting like a glutton with food. She's been impatient with others. She's disconnected from the Holy Spirit. She is grieving the Spirit of God from her life, and she is spiritually attuned enough to know that the Holy Spirit is leaving her because she has left the Holy Spirit. I fear for some of you because probably you're not spiritually enough attuned to even know that you have grieved the Holy Spirit from your heart. Some of you slipped in over the wall, so you have never received that seal of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm not speaking about the giftings of the Spirit. I'm speaking about the first seal of the Holy Spirit that assures your heart that you have been washed, that your sins have been forgiven, and that you are on the narrow path. You are crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. This is a precious, precious seal. And this, this scroll is that assurance that you carry with you constantly with the precious promises of God that you can take out and read as you read the Scriptures. To this formalist and hypocrisy gave no reply. They just looked at each other and laughed. Then I saw that they all kept walking along the path except that Christian walked up ahead and had no more conversation with formalist and hypocrisy. He only talked with himself, sometimes sighing, sometimes encouraging himself, and often refreshing himself by reading from the scroll that one of the Shining Ones had given him. I saw then that they all went on until they came to the foot of the hill of difficulty— This is the hill I was referring to earlier that I've been climbing this week. At the bottom of which was a spring of fresh water. Here the men were faced with a choice of three paths. The path that led directly from the gate continued straight up the steep hill. Another path turned to the left and a third path to the right of the hill. Christian went to the spring and drank until he was no longer thirsty and then began to go up the hill of difficulty, saying, The hill, though high, I desire to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Be strong, my heart. Let neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go then wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. Formalist and hypocrisy also came to the foot of the hill. But when they saw how steep and high it was, and that there were two simpler ways to go, they chose the ways that looked easier. They supposed that the two ways would go around the hill and meet up again with the straight way that Christian was taking. Now the name of one of those ways was danger, and the name of the other was destruction. So Formulus took the way that is called danger, which led him into a great wooded area, and hypocrisy went the way to destruction, which led him into a wide field full of dark mountains where he stumbled, fell, and never got up. Now, what I want you to notice is that in Bunyan's allegory, the person who said, I'm a Christian, but who in truth had not ever been born again, who continued to walk in sin, claiming that the blood of Jesus covered him, that person, when persecution came, when difficulties came, he tried to take a shortcut. And that shortcut led him into a place of utter destruction. I also want you to note that the person who comes to church as a formalist, enjoying the worship service, enjoying the preacher, very social with everyone, but no inner passion for Jesus Christ, no sacrifice no laying down of his life, no giving up of control of of his very life. He simply added Jesus to an already wonderful life. When persecution came to this person, he also took a shortcut and ended up utterly lost. And neither of these two made it to the celestial city. Are you like one of these two? Or are you willing to deal with the hill of difficulty? Are you willing to deal with those very, very painful and difficult times? Are you willing to go straight up that difficult hill? Because you know you are on your way to Mount Zion. Our phone number is 877 877- 877 you're welcome to join me live on air, or you're welcome to go to NationalPrayerChapel.com. Our phone number again, 877-534-0780. And I hope you understand that as we walk through this, I'm not going to try to emotionalize it. These things I'm speaking about are very, very forthright. You have to make decisions. And the decisions you make and what you choose to believe will either result as in formalist and hypocrisy going into destruction or, like Christian, a safe path all the way through to the celestial city. Now I saw that about halfway up the hill there was a pleasant arbor built by the Lord of the hill for the refreshment of weary travelers. Now, he wants this place of rest because the hill has been so difficult he's had to scramble up on hands and knees, and he is quite tired. When he reached this spot, he sat down to rest. And then he pulled his scroll out from under his coat and was comforted by what he read. He also took a fresh look at the coat that had been given to him earlier that when he stood by the cross. He entertained pleasant thoughts about the changes that had taken place in his life. He at last fell into a slumber finally into a deep sleep from which he did not awake until it was almost night and in his sleep his scroll fell out of his hand. Do you remember the ten virgins? They were waiting for the bridegroom and they fell asleep. Five woke up and they had no oil for their lamps. Bunyan reflects very carefully on the stories of Scripture. Now back to Bunyan. Now as he was sleeping, someone came to him and awakened him, saying, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. And with that, Christian sprang up and sped on his way. He had not traveled far when he came to the top of the hill. Now at the top of the hill, two men came running to meet him. The name of the one was Timorous, and of the other, Mistrust to whom Christian said, Sirs, what's the matter? You're running the wrong way. Timorous answered that they were going to the city of Zion and had climbed up the hill of difficulty, but he added, The further we went, the more danger we encountered. So we turned around. We're going back from whence we came. Yes, said Mistrust. Just ahead there are a couple of lions in the way. We don't know if they're sleeping or awake but we're sure that if we came within their reach, they would pull us to pieces. Then Christian said, You're making me afraid. Where shall I run to be safe? If I go back to my own country, which is prepared for fire and brimstone, I shall certainly perish. If I can get to the crystal city, If I can get to the crystal city, the celestial city, I'll be safe. I must go forward. To go back is nothing but death. To go forward is fear of death and life everlasting beyond it. I must go forward. So Mistrust and Timorous ran down the hill, and Christian went on his way. But thinking again of what he had just heard from the men, He felt in his coat for his scroll so that he might read it and be comforted. But it was not there. Then Christian was in great distress and didn't know what to do. He wanted to be comforted by the words of the scroll, and also he knew it was his pass into the celestial city. He stood still and became very perplexed and didn't know what to do. At last he remembered that he had slept in the arbor that is on the side of the hill. Falling down upon his knees, he asked God's forgiveness for his foolish act and then went back to look for his scroll. All the way as he went back, there was great sorrow in Christian's heart. Sometimes he sighed and sometimes he wept. And oftentimes he chided himself for being so foolish as to fall asleep in that place which was only erected for a little refreshment for the weary. So he went all the way to the arbor, carefully looking on this side and on that, hoping he might find the scroll that had been such a comfort to him on his journey. Finally, he came within sight of the arbor where he had previously sat and slept. The sight of the place renewed his sorrow as he remembered again how wrong he had been to fall asleep. He began crying over his sinful sleep, saying, O wretched man that I am, that I should sleep in the daytime, that I should sleep in the midst of difficulty, that I should so indulge the flesh as to use that rest to ease my flesh, which the Lord of the hill intended only for the relief of the spirits of the pilgrims. How many steps have I taken in vain? This is what happened to Israel for their sin, and they were sent back again by the way of the Red Sea. I'm now retracing those steps with sorrow that I might have traveled with delight had it not been for this sinful sleep. How far I might have been on my way by this time. I am forced to retrace those steps three times over that I should have traveled only once. Now I'm about to enter the darkness of night, for the day is almost over. Oh, that I had not slept. Christian sat down in the arbor and wept. But at last, looking sorrowfully down under the seat, he spied his scroll. With trembling and haste, he snatched it up and put it into his coat. No one could have made him more joyful than this I'm sorry, no one could have been more joyful than this man was after he had retrieved his scroll. The scroll was the assurance of his life and acceptance at the celestial city. He placed it carefully in his coat. He gave thanks to God for directing his eyes to the place where it lay, and with joy and tears began his journey again. Christian quickly went up the rest of the hill, but before he reached the top of the hill, the sun went down. He recalled again the vanity of sleeping at the arbor, and so he began to talk with himself. O sinful sleep! For that little rest I am now making my journey in the dark of night. I must walk without the sun. Darkness must cover the path of my feet. I must hear the noise of the doleful creatures because of my sinful sleep. Just then he remembered the story of mistrust and timorous and was told how they were frightened by the sight of the lions. Then Christian said to himself, These beasts prowl in the night, looking for their prey, and if they should meet me in the dark, how can I escape from them? How should I keep from being torn in pieces by them? Do you see the emphasis that John Bunyan is placing on this inner assurance of the Spirit. And I wonder, have you ever possessed the inner assurance of the Holy Spirit that you've been forgiven for your sins, cleansed from all unrighteousness, and you no longer walk in any willful sin against God? It is a lie that you have been taught that man must always sin. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You must not sin or you lose this scroll. How many times I've become weary of this journey, and even as pilgrim I've turned aside to some innocent amusement to escape, to escape, the conviction of God in my soul. How many times I've watched, as I've preached a sermon on righteousness, I've watched the con- congregation explode in conversation and social activity, totally forgetting what they just heard and the word of warning that they just received. No soberness of heart, no determination to pray, no turning in sorrow and repenting for being so aligned with the world. Today, have you lost your assurance? Have you lost that inner peace of God, or have you never had it? Have you been one who has been following in the narrow way? You've been going to church. You've been paying your tithes and offerings. You've been helping other people. But you know in your inner being, you're still empty. You're still the same as you were before you started all this. Perhaps you've improved some outward behaviors. Perhaps you're not as obvious in your sin. But be honest with me. Do you have an inner assurance today of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? And are you free from all willful sin? If you tell me you have an inner assurance of the Holy Spirit's presence and you're walking in willful sin, then your assurance is coming from the devil, not from the Holy Spirit. And he loves to trick people. The testing of this is both the inner assurance in accord with the Word of Scripture and the life that is being lived in accord with the teaching of Scripture, walking righteous before God. If either of those are missing, then what makes you think you can possibly enter into the celestial city? If you've never been crucified with Christ, how can you enter? If you've never really been lost, How can you be saved? My heart concern today, as I prayed and prepared for this broadcast, was for you, dear ones, who have no assurance of salvation in your heart and your life does not reflect the righteousness of Jesus. Your use of money, your use of time, what you watch, your entertainment, your attitude is reflective of the world around you, not of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for you today. Almighty God, as we close this broadcast today, I am asking for a deep conviction of your Holy Spirit to come and reveal to each one listening whether or not they are walking in righteousness before you or whether they are walking in sin, whether they have been born again or whether they are aliens who have climbed in over the wall and simply tried to fit in. Lord, I know your heart today is that men and women would go back to the beginning and enter through that narrow gate and be crucified with you, Lord Jesus. I pray now, mighty God of heaven, bring your conviction to the heart of every person listening. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'll be with you again tomorrow. God bless you. With great
0: joy Now unto him who is saved you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory